Hello, and welcome to another episode of Norboard's Builder Insights Podcast. Builder Insights is your best source of information on new building techniques, materials, tools, and codes. Keep up to date with the latest developments as well as tips and tricks that will save you time and money on the job site. And now, Builder Insights. The following podcast is part of a series recorded live at the 2017 International Builders Show in Orlando. Listen to industry experts, fellow builders, and association members as they share their perspective on current trends and the struggles they face in the industry. They also share resources for framers and builders to help them save money and time. We hope you find these short conversations beneficial and that you like, share, and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, and I'm going to start, Phil, by asking you to introduce yourself to our audience. Um, how did you come to the Dallas HBA, and how long have you been there? Sure. Um, again, I'm Phil Crone. I'm the executive officer of the Dallas Builders Association, and how I got to the association was kind of interesting. I uh, went to Southern Methodist University, which is right there in Dallas, uh, for law school, and I was looking at different career paths and what to do to kind of work full-time while I was going to law school part-time. Uh, SMU's not cheap, so I had two options. One was essentially pour coffee for a bunch of attorneys in an office and learn all I wanted about patent law and try to stay awake in the process, or <laughs> go work in a uh, essentially a lobbyist job at the state and local level for the, at the time we were called the Home Builders Association of Greater Dallas, and that actually seemed like real work and something that I could make a real impact and learned it, liked it, love our members, love our industry. And fast forward to right now, 10 years later, oh, had wow. the opportunity about three or four years ago to, to move into my present job as the executive officer. And then at that point, uh, I knew that it was going to be a, it was going to be a career. And like I said, love, love the group, love the industry. It's a outstanding place to be and outstanding market to be. Fantastic. Can you give us a, uh, some background into the history and the size of the Dallas HBA? Yeah, definitely. Like a lot of local builders associations, we were founded in 1944. And the big thing that was going on then is kind of similar to what we had now. We had uh, a lot of demand and, and short supply with uh, the end of the war inside at the time. The uh, group got together and there were material shortages or labor shortages, and they felt that they were better together than they were individually and with that uh and the leadership of a guy named hugh prather as our first president mm -hmm. the builders association was formed um 73 years later now we're we're still going strong with the same mission and wow. and the same attitude that even though our members are competitors they know that they're better together and that they face some common challenges not too dissimilar to what they had uh back at the end of the war so how many builders or renovators does the HBA, the Dallas HBA represent? We have builder membership is right around 400 and then another 600 or so uh, associate members. So uh, folks like Norboard and uh, suppliers and uh, service providers. So uh, about 1,000 members, and that's good enough for about the eighth or ninth largest local builders association in the country. So do you get remodelers as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we cover the whole gamut of the residential construction side. I see. Remodelers, single-family builders, and multifamily builders, too. So what percentage of homes or, or number of homes would you estimate the Dallas HBA members represent out of the Dallas residential construction market? Our best guess is about 85% of the market is what our, our membership builds. 
Uh, there are a couple volume builders. If we got them back into the membership, I think we'd we'd get that close to 90%. But by and large, and it's difficult to track because Texas is one of the few states that doesn't have licensing or even registration anymore. So uh, our best guess is about 85, 86%. So I'm sure there are many challenges that the builders are facing today, and not only across the country, but in Dallas as well. Certainly one of the challenges is the shortage of qualified or skilled labor and trades. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in your market? Absolutely. I mean, Dallas has a great economy. I mean, we're, we're adding over 100,000 jobs every year, and homes are where the jobs sleep at night. And when you look at that employment figure, it really bodes well for home building, creates a lot of demand, but we're going to finish this year building right around 30,000 uh, single-family starts. We're wow. just not able to keep up with the job growth that we've been seeing in the area, and a big reason be because of that is is a labor shortage. Right. And what happened kind of around the time when we had our, our downturn, and granted, it wasn't as bad in Dallas or Texas as it was in a lot of other places, sure. but a lot of people left the industry, uh, skilled and unskilled labor, and they never came back. A lot of them went out to uh, the oil and gas industry and sure. getting wages that, that construction couldn't touch. But even after that uh, sector kind of dropped off a little bit, we just didn't see you know, the pipe fitters come back and be plumbers, uh, the truck drivers that were out there uh, come start hauling lumber around. We just, we just didn't have that. Wow. And it's still going to be the biggest challenge as far as the delays. I mean, our estimate from the surveys we've done of our 400 builder members is that the the average builder is looking at a two-month delay and about $4,000 in additional costs wow. purely because of the labor shortage and the lack of the key trades out there. Wow. Oh, that's, that's definitely a, a, a tight spot. So how do you see your members dealing with the labor shortages? Uh, or are they just going with the flow? A little bit of having to go with the flow sometimes. Uh, if they need something done, they're, they're just going to have to pay a premium to do it. It really – it was very interesting. I'll give you an example uh, – 2015, we had record rains in the DFW area, and what that did is is that shut everybody down for about a month or so, mm -hmm. and it was predictable because at that point everybody bunched up on the same construction schedule, and you could figure out when when the when the brick guys were going to be a problem or before or when the framers would be a problem, the concrete guys, and that's when it was really telling that you would see a, a brick crew, for example, working on a uh, project builder next door or builder in the same community will say hey you know, I'll give you a uh, give you a couple bucks a foot more to come down over here and we can finish this up the builder who uh, had his crew pulled calls me and says uh, you know hey so and so took him I said man that's that's capitalism and, and there's not much we can do here <laughs> so uh, they're just carrying around bags of money I guess yeah and they 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 were they were having to throw money at the problem but again right. that's an expense that that that's added into the home and, and translates down to the consumer, the consumer and, yeah. and, and that that's a big fear for our market right now. One of the main reasons why all those jobs, those 100,000 jobs or so, are moving to the DFW area is that housing's still pretty affordable. Right. Uh, we don't have really nice mountains. We don't have uh, beaches or anything that, that you really want to go to uh, <laughs> nearby. So it's going to be the economy. It's going to be housing affordability and, and some of the other things. But if we lose that advantage, then mm -hmm. we're not going to be the number one housing market in the mm -hmm. United States anymore. True. So when a builder finds a good pool of labor, how do they keep these trades on their jobs? Uh, and how do they keep them from going elsewhere? I think a couple of reasons to keep them on the job. One, it's uh, it's how they treat them and paying them on time and 
being able to be clear and concise with how they want the job to be done, no uh, changes along the way. And that's where I think the association can come in and help is we do a lot of uh, sticks and bricks type of training with our builders. And we have a, a really good series called Building a Better House. And that kind of helps them understand what the trades do, what to expect from them, and be uh, more quality control. And with some of that comes a better relationship and, and better communication between them and their trades. That's helped a little bit, but yeah. it, uh, it really, there's also a little bit of the secrecy close to the vest. And, you know, they've, they've got a guy, but they're not going to tell you who that guy is. And, right. and it's really interesting because I'm, uh, I'm getting ready to, to build my own house and work with uh, one of my builders on it. So and, you get to experience that and, firsthand. Yeah, and I'm hearing from a couple <laughs> guys, they're like, hey, you know, I've got I've got this guy that'll that'll demolish the old house that's on the lot, but don't tell anybody else because he'll do it at this. So I'm getting an all-star cast and crew, but my, my lips have to be sealed. It's uh, it's kind of funny to see how that works. Well, it's good research for you, too. I mean, you can you can use that information, right? Definitely. I'm, I'm definitely getting a new appreciation for, for what they go through and, and what they're trying to do to make it work in this market. Excellent. So uh, job site delays definitely cost builders money, whether they're large or small, right? Uh, do builders today look for ways to increase velocity of construction? Uh, and if so, uh, are there any best practices that you can share with us? I think as far as velocity of construction, a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of standardization, even with our custom builders, as far as what they're able to do. And you don't see as many plans out of the volume guys that uh, they've had before. And I think a lot of that is, is they just they just need to keep it simple and and get moving. They know that the demand's going to be there. They know that, uh, you know, as far as the hierarchy of things that buyers are looking for, um, the sticks and bricks part of it and, and some of the plan layouts are a little bit lower on the list than, say, uh, granite countertops or what school system mm-hmm. it's in and, and things like that. So that's some of the ways it's just some streamlining has, yeah. help, has helped increase the velocity the best they can with, uh, again, the aforementioned labor shortages. Texas has moved to the IECC 2015 Energy Code, and I believe Dallas is in Climate Zone 3, right? Yep. What challenges has that meant for builders in the Dallas area? How have they adapted to meet the Energy Code changes? Uh, It's been a major challenge. Our uh, legislature decided to move to, and it was inevitable that Texas was eventually going to move to the 2015 Energy Code, but the legislature decided to do it uh, because they wanted to address the and adjust the ERI figure to try to get that uh, it ended up up at a 65, which is more in parity with other routes that you can go through okay. the code. Gives you some more product choices. But DFW ends up in a very particular challenge. One, uh, our statute says that cities can change the code and make it more stringent, but if you're in an area that has bad air quality as determined by the EPA and others like DFW, you can't make it less stringent, which means in a lot of ways you can't make it more flexible. Mm. And the big challenge that we felt uh, with being in climate zone three is that you had to hit three air changes per hour, which uh, I know it's a technical term for a really, really tight house. Yeah. And you have problems with, you know, someone could pay the extra expense and, and maybe go with the foam product and get there, but that's a that's a lot of extra money. If you don't want to do that, then you're having to deal with the plumber that's making holes with the hammer and the pre-wire right. guy that's not sealing stuff up. And, and even then, the smaller homes are having a more difficult time because... Say you have a the the dryer vent on a fifteen hundred square foot home is the same size as a dryer vent on a forty five hundred square foot home, so that penetration mm. is larger when compared to the rest of the structure on the smaller home, and that contributes to uh, inability to make it as airtight as the code requires. Right. So uh, we're working on some trade offs to 
to try to um, really get to the same performance level without having to go to particular products that may not really be the winners in the marketplace when you look at it. So are the new energy codes presenting challenges for builders today? And if so, are the particular areas that are, are, that are especially challenging for them? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's uh, it's the air tightness requirements that are yeah. that are the big challenge. And I'll just tell you some of the the trade offs that we're looking at. And and APA has been a really good partner uh, in their group as far as giving us the the technical background on this. But what we've discovered is with some of these trade offs that chasing that one extra air change per hour does not add a whole lot when it comes to energy efficiency, but it adds a whole lot in terms of cost. Mm-hmm. Contributes to the labor shortage because the level of detail. Sure. Uh, for air sealing is just beyond what a lot of the subcontractors are used to. But we found through some of their help and research we've done through the Energy Systems Laboratory in our state, yeah. we found that a really a radiant barrier gets you about 80%, 90% in some cases of the way there wow. uh, to trade off that one air change per hour. And my philosophy on it is is we shouldn't be mandating, put it in a car context, we shouldn't be mandating that every car is a hybrid yeah. more than actually we should just instead be mandating that every car gets 30 miles per gallon. Right. We don't care what technology it takes to get there yeah. efficiency-wise. Makes sense. But let's not mandate one particular technology over another. And that's really the that that's that's a focus in the platform of the Dallas Builders Association and, and the National Association of Home Builders, too. Very good. I have one last question for you. Sure. You mentioned a few weeks ago that the Dallas HBA was working on a program to get trades uh, taught in schools in the Dallas area. To help show students that a good career is waiting for them in the trades. You bet. Uh, can you tell us uh, more about what, what you guys are doing uh, uh, to enable that? Yeah, it's a, it's a work in progress, but something I'm really excited about. It comes from our president, Michael Turner, who actually started out as a tile setter and worked his way up through the trades and has now become one of the most successful custom builders in the Dallas area. And the partnerships that we're working to set up, and, and we've had some good conversations and hope to have a formal program rolled out maybe by the middle of the year is uh, just to bring back shop class. And unfortunately, that's something you just don't see in high schools. And Dallas ISD has, a, in some cases, a 40% dropout rate. And there are a lot of kids there that just either aren't willing or aren't able to... They can be streamed through... To go, yeah, to go to college, but otherwise have uh, a lot of intelligence, can work with their hands. And if they have that work ethic, they have a great job waiting for them in the construction industry. And there's a there's a big paradigm shift that has to happen both in Dallas and across the country where we can't just define success for uh, kids by what college they go to or the fact that they need to go to a traditional four-year university. Right. There are other pathways to success that are nothing to, you know, nothing to be upset or embarrassed about. And at the end no. of the day, what we hope is that you know, instead of someone asks you what you did after, uh, after high school, you can look them in the eye and say, I went to work and be just as happy about that is saying what college or university you went to. Exactly. And, and this program, you're starting it this year? Yeah, starting it this year. That's a partnership with Dallas ISD that, that we're going to work on. We, we have one that exists already that is a model program in Garland ISD, which is uh, just the suburb a little bit north and to the east of Dallas. And that's a, uh, that's a high school shop class that, so that we provide So they're for. actually, the classes are being held inside the high schools? Inside the high schools and during school hours. Those are the, those are the tough ones to crack. We got a, uh, a bill passed 
four years ago that allows the curriculums to be a little bit more flexible in the high schools that want them to be more flexible so we can get these into uh, school hours where they really need to be and, and again, Perfect. provide a pathway for some of these kids. So do you know of other HBAs that are doing this? Yeah, there's a great program that just got started up in uh, – in Waco, which is pretty much between, uh, right between Dallas and uh, and Austin, they've they've got a really good one going. There's uh, builders associations, uh, for example, in in Kentucky, uh, they actually have a uh, program that they actually have a whole trade school that they run wow. uh, in and of themselves. So they're they're different success. Like yeah, they 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 have they have a, a really successful school that they just run and operate purely under the. Uh, uh, auspices of the association and and they do a great job with it up there so there are a lot of programs that i look at and i'm envious of that hopefully we can model here in the dallas area once we get something set up that's great phil i wish you all the success with that program because yeah. i think it's a fantastic program and thank you for coming today and, uh, and spending some time with us to talk a little bit about uh, what you guys do in your market uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you and speaking to you again yeah david is my pleasure i really appreciate this all right thanks phil thanks okay. That concludes this installment of Norboard's Builder Insights Podcast. You'll find more of the same great content on our blog, including show notes and links to additional information. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing, liking, and subscribing on iTunes. Thanks for listening.